0: you. We're going to read from John chapter 18. John chapter 18 verse 33. Jesus is before Pilate. He's facing the crucifixion. He's basically being betrayed by one of his closest friends. He's... Poured out his life into this community as the Son of God. And the religious leaders rejected him. And he's pretty alone. But he doesn't buckle. John 18, verse 33 Pilate went back inside. He's just asked the. Um, He's just spoken to the Jews and they've, they've said that Jesus uh, needs to be killed. Pilate went back inside the palace and summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own, own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. And for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, Pilate asked, and with this he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. And Father, as we ponder that as well, what is truth and what is your kingdom like and who are you and what you've called us to be, we pray that your Holy Spirit will indeed uh, take us deeper with you, take us to places we've never been before. And may we see the contrast between your kingdom and the world which we live and know the difference. And may we grow in confidence of knowing what you have overcome and what you've accomplished on the cross that you are no ordinary leader and you're no ordinary person. You're quite extraordinary and your kingdom is not of this world. So we pray that you will indeed uh, fill our hearts and minds this morning with visions of who you have called us to be and become. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not quite sure where I'm going this morning. But I wanted to read that as a reminder of what Jesus was doing when he was on this earth. Um, And I know I sound edgy and cynical when I say that for most of our churches and for most Christians, nobody would bother getting up. Nobody would bother, bother charging them for anything. Nobody would bother because it's so inoffensive. And it challenges me. Not that I think Christians should be offensive. It's just bearing witness to truth and following Jesus tends to offend. And that's why it's so helpful for Delphine to, to speak about darkness and saying I'm defending sin. And I'm going to repeat some of what we've talked about before. And I'll tell you why, because repetition is good. But this whole idea and this whole um, reality that Jesus, when he says, I am a king, but I'm a king not of this world. The not of this world, the kingdom not of this world, challenges me. Because in the 45, 50 years I've grown up in churches, most of the Christianity, most of the education, most of the testimony is very much of this world. It's about how do you integrate Jesus and following Jesus into my culture and life. It's how do you be a good person. It's how do you not swear, not kill, and kind of that's about it, isn't it? And in the Western world, it's not a criticism, it's a, it's a comment of a reality, that the Western world has lost its Christian witness. Primarily because I made a joke about England. and They said, if you want to defeat England, attack them at tea time. And in the West, there's that similar kind of, if you want to attack the West, just give them things to play with. And the the, the battle is subtle, and the battle is, is tough, and the battle is strong. And the battle looks very different in different places. I remember saying when I first came to Canada, the battle here is much more difficult than Africa. In Africa, there was very clear lines. In South Africa, with all the apartheid and oppression, it was easy to identify what you're fighting against. Now they're confused because they're not quite sure what they're fighting against. In Canada, it's it's subtle because it's apathy and it's so much to do. And there's so many distractions. So Christianity becomes just something I add on to what I already do and it sort of helps me a little bit. As you were saying, Barbara, you know, Lord, bless me while I drive, bless me while I do what I want, and thank you for blessing me. And God probably goes, well, thanks for talking to me, but uh, I wasn't actually directing you in any of that. I'm not being cynical. Please don't hear me wrong. But I am saying that as a church, for instance, we've said we're going to press in, and we want to be different And we want to have God do things that he's never done before. And I want us to be aware, very aware, of how embedded in our culture we are. How embedded in the natural we are. How we take Jesus and demystify him and bring all his stuff down into a place that's reframed so it doesn't really rock my boat. We follow one who stood before um, a very powerful man and said, you call me king, and I am a king. He also could have said, and if I really exercised my muscle, I could destroy you right now. But for the love of the people I've come to save, including you, Pilate, I'm going to pretend I'm weak, or I'm going to be weak, so that my grace and mercy will eventually work its way through, and that you might have an opportunity to repent because of what I've done. The only king to wash feet and lay down his life. That's who we say we serve. That's radical. That's powerful. That's not what is normally around. And I want to keep on saying to Jesus, forgive me when I distill everything you do down to a place where I don't, get, I don't have to deal with sin So we repeat what we've talked about before. Um, maybe I'll, I'll insert here. Yes, you know, I always get quite emotional after. I went to, I've been to two meetings um, in a year and I went to another AA meeting yesterday to celebrate and, and, and um, affirm and support somebody who's been sober for a year. I I have to say that it's probably the most powerful meeting I've ever been to in my life, the two AA meetings. I'm totally a fan of it. I have never, ever been in a group of men and women who have been so honest, so pragmatic, so desperate, so actually humorous in the midst of a battle. And I wished I could just bring them all and put them here and just say, let's just have a service, just surround and listen. They say three things, basically. There's huge repetition every single time they meet, they say the same things. There is a no BS approach to life. They all say, I was dead, I was drinking, I was desperate, I was broken, there's nothing that was left for me. Good morning, my name is John, and I'm an alcoholic, is what it starts with. We're going to have another little phrase we could use later, maybe. Good morning, my name is John, I'm a sinner. And there's huge freedom in a place where everybody acknowledges that that's where they are. And they need their higher power. Most of them have at least defined that. And the other thing they desperately, desperately need is one another. And some of them meet twice a day somewhere for 120 days at a row, because they know that without that help, they will never break this addiction. And I sit there and I have tears in my eyes, and I say, "Oh God, would that the Christians could do that? Would that we could be that honest and that open and that transparent and that desperate? Because I live among a people who defend our sin all the time. We think one visit to the cross and a little bit of trinketing and, and, you know, God forgave me for this and that and now I'm free. And we're not. Alcoholism is one aspect of sin. And if they're that desperate to get free of alcoholism, even without Jesus really being present, God in grace is present. But there's so much more he could Reveal himself, and probably does in different people. All I'm saying is, there's a desperation, there's a hope, there's a camaraderie that I think would totally transform the Christian church. If we meet together for an hour or two hours on Sunday morning, and then desperately try to get some people out for for Tuesday night or soaking prayer, that's a huge sacrifice. Because it's not that desperate. Because we're actually okay, really. And anyway, we're going to sort our things out, out on our own, aren't we? We're not going to certainly talk to you about it. So, that leads into, don't get depressed. This is just real life. If you're getting depressed, suck it up, because it's no point in that. It's real life, isn't it? So what we've talked about, this is repetition. How many of you have been on a sports team? How many of you have been in any events where you go, what you're doing on Wednesday night, we're practicing. Why? Because we're playing on Saturday. We're meant to be practicing Christians. That means we invest time. So, we read that story of um, the... Entering into the promised land. Freedom from Egypt. Slavery in Egypt. Freedom in the promised land. If we had those old overhead projector, you know, um, acetate things, those transparencies, we'd put um, Egypt, darkness, Pharaoh, the promised land. Symbol of hell on one side. On the other side we'll put... Um, Heaven, the kingdom of God, Jesus is Lord, life, love, truth, fullness, everything, that's good. In the middle we put the wilderness. That's the journey between the two. Why are we repeating this almost every week? John, when are you going to be done with this? Never. Never. The kingdom of heaven is not of this world. Jesus is not of this world. You have to repeat things about 30 times to make any difference. We haven't got it yet. And we're going to get it. And we're going to continue to talk about it. Take those acetate tapes or or pages and put them on each other. Any way around you like, hold them up and you can see all three dimensions. The journey, Egypt promised land but then together that is the world in which we live it's pulled apart for us to understand but if you want to understand why the world is a place where there's suffering and there's also a God of love why good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people why some healings happen why some don't happen why there's so many battles and struggles that's why because there are two kingdoms vying they're not two kingdoms vying for control because the kingdom of God is already won. What the kingdom of God is doing is working out that victory on earth as in heaven. The reason why he just doesn't go, let's just clean it up right now, is because there is also judgment with that. And he's kind of saying, I really would love a few more people to come in here. I love them all. So it's grace and mercy that's keeping it all going. But that's why it's also confusing. That is the setting which we're talking about when Joshua, uh, in Joshua, the, 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 the Hebrews have just come out, well let me go back a bit. The Hebrews have just come out of slavery and they've come through the Red Sea and God has miraculously saved them and they cross the wilderness God provides for them. And they come to the border of the promised land. I'll just tell you the story, I won't read it. They come to the border of the promised land. You know the story, but we're going to say it again. And they look across and they see this promised land and it doesn't look anything like they thought it would look. They look across and they see scrub, they see mountains, they see fires coming out of people's smokestacks and they go, this this is already inhabited. I mean, there's no condos, there's no martinis, there's no red carpet, there's no welcome home, love dad. Love dad. We got rescued for this. So they decide to send 12 scouts and 12 scouts go out to look at the land and see what it's really like and they come back 40 days later and 10 of them say, um, well, there's good news and bad news. There is milk and honey. There's great fruit and we can certainly provide for ourselves. It's It's a good land. The bad news is there's some people occupying it and they look pretty brutal to us. And those people that we saw, I mean, they're huge. They look like giants. And we've, we look like grasshoppers to them. And so they talk among themselves and eventually Joshua and Caleb stand up and say, The God who has brought us this far is faithful. He will give us that land. Let's just go in and take it. And they say, No, it would be maybe better to go back to Egypt. I hope you're drawing parallels with your own life. They have just been rescued and they want to go back. After God has provided for them, shown Himself to be faithful in dramatic ways, it doesn't take them long to go Ah oh, slavery is easy, at least you know what you're doing, where you're gonna feed and where you're gonna work and you know, it's more secure actually in our slavery. Freedom is more difficult. They end up wandering in a wilderness for 40 years. And all the adults over 20 die and the children go in. And we pick up the story where they're about to go in again and this wonderful, wonderful sort of, I love it—is Caleb um, speaks about uh, how he's been... I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I I followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. So on that day Moses swore to me, The land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children. Forever, because you have followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Forty years later, he's pulling that up. And he says, now then, just as the Lord promised, he's kept me alive for forty-five years since the time he'd said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the desert. The fact that the guy is even still talking to anybody, the fact that he actually even... I, I find it astounding. So he says... Elphra, pay attention. And all you others over 80. John, I am standing here at 85 years old. I remember the promise that was made. I'm still full of vigor and I want to go and do battle. And get that inheritance that God promised me. And I will lead these people. And he did. And he drove them out and they occupied that land and he received his inheritance. It's inspiring stuff, isn't it? It's inspiring, but it's also not so inspiring that you have to wait 45 years to do that. It's not that inspiring when you go, Lord, what happened in the 45 years? I would never do that. And what scares me What I think is a warning is we can listen to Graham Cook and say God is good and we can listen to Graham Cook saying you have an inheritance and and we can press in. Are we still pressing in? It's only about seven or eight months. What does that look like? You see the people who possessed the promised land didn't, it didn't work out as they thought it would, which is pretty normal when you follow Jesus. Nothing works out like you think it's going to work out. That's why relationship with him is so important, because the circumstances around him and his agenda don't jive with mine. His kingdom is not of my world. So he's continually rocking my world. And the closer I am with relationship to him, the easier it is to say this is an adventure rather than, oh darn it, you're not doing it my way. And the thing that scares me in that scenario is that God can give his word of prophecy over us, over this church. And we could wander in the wilderness for 45 years. When God's promise is for us as individuals as and as a church, is you can take it in nine months. It's up to you. It's up to you as individuals, as leaders, as participants in this journey, to be speaking about what that land looks like and drawing people into it, or is speaking about it in a way that sabotages the whole will of the Lord. And people generally will follow negativity, won't they? Negativity and doubt and fear are where we live because we still live with Egypt in our hearts and lives. That's, we can't help it. We are being made new. but We need to be aware of how we operate. So, what's going on there as well is they look out over the land and they make this comment which we talked about before, which is they look like giants and we look like grasshoppers. Now we talked before, they they didn't talk to the enemy. How do they know what they thought? The issue that was being struggled with and is struggled with in our lives is our mindsets. How we see ourselves and how we see other people. And when you come from Egypt, when you come from sin, when you come from a place of darkness... You live with inferiority, you live with negativity, you live with defeat, you live looking at the problems and seeing them overwhelming you. You live in a world of giants and those giants are all negative. The truth that Jesus came to proclaim is, my brothers and sisters, when you look out over that land, understand that you who were captive in Egypt were my creation. When you were cre- my creation, I'm, I created you to be giants. When you were captured in slavery in Egypt, you were captured by grasshoppers who masqueraded as giants. You spent enough time among them that you began to get imprinted with them and you began to think that you are nothing but a grasshopper yourself. You've forgotten your identity. When I rescue you out of slavery, you become a giant. But I have to transform your thinking and heart so that you can live and walk and live like a giant. And when those guys looked out over the promised land, they were freed giants, but their grasshopper brains were still very active. And their grasshopper brains are brains that are are inferior. God is not strong enough. I am too weak. Everybody else is strong enough. The circumstances are too much for me. We all know the story. It is the most familiar story of our lives. It's one of the reasons why I believe part of the worship songs we need to be singing are songs of declaration. Who are you God? Let's show that clip again, shall we? please It's so cool who's the, This is Jesus' kingdom Not of this world Who's the giant And who's the grasshopper The giant is David Who looks like a grasshopper The grasshopper is the giant Who's masquerading And whenever you read The story of David and Goliath And look up anything It's a nice kid's story It's got nothing to do with children It's God crying out to his people And saying, I took a young boy of 14 years old who had found that I was trustworthy because I protected him from the lion and the bear and I brought him into a group of adults and I defeated a giant because you didn't have the guts or the relationship with me to sustain you in that kind of challenge. It's a word of promise to adults. When I live in you, when my kingdom is present, you will overcome giants. But they are actually locusts and grasshoppers. So see them as they truly are. And when Jesus came into the... So, so one of the things that we have to be aware of in the world in which we live is this battle between this kingdom of light and the prince of darkness. I don't want to give him equal play or equal strategy, status. The battle is on earth for God's kingdom on earth. God's kingdom is way bigger than this. And so, one of the things that we are continually being aware of is what are the ways that we discern how God works out this battle and how we participate in it. When you're dealing with alcoholism, you know the things you have to look after. When you're dealing with other addictions, you know the things you have to keep away from. When you're practicing Christian, how do you grow in the kingdom that doesn't look anything like this? And so, you remember, I'm going to repeat myself. He said, one of the biggest things to look out for is, is leadership. Lions in the land, in the promised land. The lion of Judah and the lion who prowls around masquerading and pretending to be roaring like a lion, but is actually evil and personified. Trying to, from a distance, he looks like the lion of Judah. He draws blood if he gets close, the lion of Judah sheds blood for you. The one devours, the other one lifts up. How do you know the difference between the lions who appear the same from a distance? As you get closer, you can tell their character. You can tell what comes out of them by their tone and by their actions. This is very, very, very important to counterbalance the spirituality that denies the human flesh relationship dynamic. It's what keeps us honest. And so the first thing that you have with deception is leadership that is misguided, controlling, and angry. The other thing you look for is sheep, wolf in sheepskin. We all have this. We all have bits of wolves in our sheepskins. Don't, you know, so it's not fingering us. We all are in a process of being set free. But as Delphine never knew you would make such a powerful word, as Delphine said... Lord, whenever that wolf comes up, please kill it. That's called confession. That's called just owning my stuff. But the wolf in sheepskin, we are all sheep. So how do you know which is the wolf? When it bears its teeth, by its behavior, by its actions. And Jesus said, the other way you'll know is by the fruit. The fruit that grows out of the heart. The fruit of the kingdom is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Unity. The fruit of the kingdom of darkness is bitter. Is bitter fruit. It is anger, hatred, division, slandering, jealousy, strife, violence, all that stuff. And it's not difficult to tell those fruits. Do you know the difference between light and de- night and dark, a uh, night and day? Hot and warm, hot and cold. See, I believe we've got really rather too complicated in Christian living and in Christian community. And I think it's really quite simple. When you distill it down, the kingdom of Jesus is not difficult to see and hear and taste and feel. It is love, joy, peace, patience, hope, kindness, greatness, that stuff. And so the way that we allow God to take the grasshopper mind out of us is to just confess it when it comes up, because it does come up. I I know, I have to deal with it all the time. So I am John, and I'm a recovering grasshopper mind. And really, frankly, we should probably all stand up and just say, I am, and I am, you know, a sinner and I'm not going to try and be when I say to you I am a Christian I am not saying I'm an angelic being without sin I am announcing I am a giant that I'm growing into that is my hope and my strength is that Jesus is going to lead me into that but I need my higher power which is God and Jesus and his spirit and I need you because the alcoholics will say, and the guy stood up in one of the speeches yesterday and says, Alcoholics, now to speak to alcoholics. Because some of the stuff they do is crazy. And nobody else understands. I don't think Christians should speak to Christians. It should just be sinners speaking to sinners. And walking into the Christian truth. That's how we will take the promised land, is with being authentic. Being open, trusting that God will build us into ways we've never been before. Why is this all important? Because the importance of confession and dealing with our ongoing sinfulness and attitudes keeps us humble and keeps us dependent. But we also talk about that in order to speak the giant truth into each other as well. So we interrupt each other and say, yes, but that is not all you are. You are also somebody who's been made new. So your grasshopper is diminishing and your giant is increasing as you allow the Spirit of God to work in you. That's why we need to say, how much time are you spending, or we spending, allowing the Spirit of God to nurture us, infect us, educate us, build us up so that we have confidence in our new identity. Because this is all about identity. Who are you? Are you a grasshopper or are you a giant? In Jesus, we are all giants being set free from a grasshopper slavery mentality. That's what he's doing in us. Giants take ground. Giants overcome. Giants have hope for the future. Giants are confident in who God is for them. There's a wonderful story that is in... um, Where is it? Numbers. No, it's not. It's in Kings. It's 2 Kings 6. We're going to have an intermission now. Elisha has got a servant and uh, he's doing some stuff and and there's a marauding army and there's an army that's very, very um, threatening. And the servant goes out one morning probably making coffee and he got up and went out early in the next morning and the army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh my Lord, what should we do? The servant does. Which is just the same as looking at the promised land and saying, oh, look at all these giants. And the prophet says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Of course, the servant must look at him and say, Elisha, it's you and me. And Elisha says, Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. See, the kingdom that Jesus came to inaugurate doesn't demand that his people fight for him. It demands that his people stand and bear witness to him. Because he says, I will fight for you if you just actually stand firm. So, I'm wondering what kind of things you might have brought in today that are giants for you, that appear to be giants, that appear to be things that are oppressive or destructive or overwhelming. Because I think the one of the things the Lord's certainly saying to me, because I can get quite discouraged and I can go, Lord, are you going to do anything in this place? And one of the words I've been, when I was playing squash a few times when we were in a, in a tough match, the guy played with something we joke about and he says, hold the line, hold the line, which is, you know, damn tough. And one of the, actually the things the Lord said to me this morning during the worship, He said, "Hold the line." In other words, when it feels like nothing's happening, when it feels like just you're, you're standing still and you feel like a grasshopper and the giants are around, you have to turn that around and just telling you how it works for me, and you have to start saying, "God, you are faithful." And even though I don't see anything now, I trust that you will work in us, through us and around us. What I did for years was sing songs. I'm going to sing a song that I came across recently. If you've been to the Soaking Prayer, you'll have heard it. I think it's a very cool song. Um, And the words will go up, and if you want to join in, when you get hold of it, you feel free. It's it's about that uh, Elisha... um, It's about how do I build my faith when I don't see much that's different. And I begin to start saying to myself and to my spirit, Jesus is greater and God is present. And I don't have to fight for him. He will fight in me and through me and around me. What happened with David and Goliath is what we do as Christians. I remember this in Cape Town 35 years ago or 30 years ago. When we, were doing, when we were saying, oh God, please uh, you know, help uh, black people who don't have education. And there was a protest down in Cape Town. 1972 this was. And a few Christians gathered in a room on the campus and said, well, let's pray for them. And we didn't get very far. We said, we're chicken. We're sitting here on the campus safe and there are 10,000 people downtown saying, we really believe this. So we went downtown with the guns and the tear gas. and it's terrifying. That's what God's calling us to do. You've got to be there in order for Him to deliver. We've got to be there, face to face, to know His victories. That's what it is. So to be encouraged with this. And as I say, if you want to get up and dance, you can feel free. Something that happens. Do you hear something that happens? If you sing and proclaim truth that is way beyond where you are. That's where the battle takes place. The battle is won in worship the battle is won in the condition of your spirit and heart the battle is won in the confidence you have in the one who can fight what you're absolutely out of your depth to fight when the giant realizes the grasshopper is speaking the grasshopper speaks negativity accusation and defeat all the time if you don't believe God look at what you are the giant says, This is what has happened because of Jesus. He is able to do what I can't do. Let's go for it. Worship is fed by the victories of the giants taking the promised land. If you want to have vibrant worship, begin to start having victories and testimonies. Otherwise you'll have to settle for the songs that were written 200 years ago by the people like Wesley who did that. And it won't be very exciting. So God's call to us, I believe, is saying, continue to be encouraged to step into the giant that you are because of me in you. But understand the enemy speaks through the mind. Your mind. My mind. Our minds are coming out of slave mentalities, but they're not here there yet. Understand that the battle is won in the mind. And the way Jesus has opened it up for us is saying when your mind condemns you, bring it to the cross. There is forgiveness. Your identity is love secure. I am faithful. But everything will be attacked. And God is crying out. I'm absolutely convinced of this. That song, The Wind on the Waters, is a song about a rising move of God's Spirit. That I believe He is indeed moving across the world. But He's also saying, I want the giants to rise up. But there's a cost to it. You've got to be desperate for it. Not desperate in panic, just hungry for it, because I'm tired of the grasshopper ways. That means you have to invest in it. That means it has to have time. You go to army, you get trained. You have to do stuff. You have to be present in relationship with others to be built up into what we are not as individuals. That's cool. But I promise you, because it's not going to be any other way, none of us walks into this kingdom without any challenge, without any need to die, without any need to be helped to grow. This doesn't happen. So I pray that you will be restless. I pray that you will be inquisitive and impatient. I pray that you will be saying, you know, with me, I'm a, I was a grass, but I'm a giant, but God, I still want more. Do whatever you need to do in me. And if you don't know what God's wanting to do in you, talk to somebody either who's married to you who knows you well. Just say, what do you think God's saying to me right now? We should be doing that often over coffee. What do you think God's saying to me? And you say, well, this is what I pick up coming out of your fruit. Some's sweet, some's not so sweet. So let me tell you about the sweet that I see and I'll tell you about some of the bitter stuff that I see. And then instead of arguing and defending the bitterness, go, yeah, I was sort of aware of it, but I didn't really want to acknowledge it. And so we don't have to pray about it because we know it's there, so we just have to rebuke it and renounce it. Our prayers are sometimes, Lord, help me how to like this. Which is when Ted and I have breakfast and I pray and say, Lord, please turn the bacon and eggs into vegetables. It's kind of not going to happen. It's like, don't eat the bacon and egg. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. That's where we're ending, where we started. It's not of this world. We need his spirit working in us. Let's pray together. You see, this is a validation for us. about when we try to do it in our own strength, it doesn't work. And so Jesus in his love comes and says, it's not working for you, is it? I just don't feed grasshoppers. I train up giants. So, Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit, wherever we are right now, that we would just be able to discern with you what you're saying to us in real time, in our real lives. Thank you that you don't condemn us. There's nothing condemning in this. Thank you that you don't... You're not angry with us. You're not disappointed with us. You're not particularly shocked by anything. You're just saying... Why don't you walk into a deeper place with giants? Let let my Holy Spirit fill you afresh this morning. Let the presence of my kingdom come upon you. Let me remind you that you are a mighty man and woman in my sight whom I'm wanting to use. But the truth will set you free and you're compromising the truth in this area and that area. And you need to just give it back to me. It's exhausting, compromising truth. I could give you 15,000 testimonies on that one. So Holy Spirit, we just welcome you. And Jesus, we bring to you the stuff that is of the grasshopper mindset that we just want to lay at your cross again this morning and say, forgive me for holding on to this, forgive me for participating in this, forgive me for my fears and unbeliefs or my attitudes, whatever it is. We just want to bring it to your cross, Jesus, and thank you that you died on that cross for us. So thank you that you take that stuff away. But you're also wanting to train us into new habits. And we know that if we just make resolutions in our own strength, it doesn't work. So the Holy Spirit, we just ask you to fill us so that the fruit of yourself and your presence will grow in us. The fruit of joy and life and peace and hope. Because the way we overcome the enemy is creating the intensity of light. We don't have to harangue the darkness. Some more light of your kingdom present, Lord, among us, we pray. As we come to break bread, will you just meet with us as we pray over one another? Will you be poured out that, Lord, the giant in us will rise up and not be afraid? That with, Give us, we pray, a release of the spirit of Caleb. That spirit that conquers, that spirit that takes ground, that spirit that says, I'm never too old to do battle for you, Lord. So we bless you for your faithfulness to us and we just pray that we will see mighty things in this place in these next weeks and months. In Jesus' name, Amen.